Entrepreneurs Will Save the World. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. We focus on the mindset shifts entrepreneurs make to increase their influence and impact in the world. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the Add Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast. We would love for you to like, share, and leave a review of our show. Subscribe on YouTube. Most importantly, help us spread the word about the great stories being shared on our show. My guest today is Jeremy Ryan Slate. Jeremy is the founder of the Create Your Own Life podcast, which studies the highest performers in the world. He studied literature at Oxford University, specializes in using podcasts and new media to create celebrity and was ranked number one in iTunes New and number 78 in the iTunes Top 100. He was named the number one podcast to listen to by Inc. Magazine in 2019, as well as being named a top influencer by Forbes. After his success in podcasting, Jeremy Slate and his wife, Brielle, founded Command Your Brand to help entrepreneurs get their message out by appearing as guests on podcasts. Jeremy, Ryan, Slate, and Robert have a conversation about building a business with your wife as your partner, the value of brand and how few entrepreneurs understand that they are their brand and the importance of knowing their brand stories and how to use their stories to grow their business. Well, Jeremy, I appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm just so excited to have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm, I'm stoked to be here hanging out. I know you and I have been like sitting here chatting for a while and you're, you're like, hey, I, th I think we should probably record. So I, I'm glad to, to be doing this, man. Absolutely. So typically, I just let everybody share their entrepreneurial journey, at least how they got started. And I know that uh, that your your life has had some ups and downs, and and that kind of led you into doing your own thing. And so, yeah, it's kind of been like that Beatles song, man. It's a long and winding road. Like it's not like like I didn't think I would ever be doing what I'm doing now. Frankly, when I was in college, like what I'm doing now didn't even exist. Right. Um, so so. <laughs> Um, it's, it's kind of wild. Like for me, my under undergrad degree is in, um, I'm a double major in Catholic theology, um, and religious studies. Um, I then studied literature, um, British, uh, you know, Catholic literature at new college Oxford, then got my master's in uh, early Roman empire propaganda, not a very like applicable skill in the, the world of getting a job. Um, so I was kind of like highly educated to like kind of really do nothing. I, and I tell, I tell people all the time that. I have a BA and BS and it's only good at 7-Eleven. So. I, I win Jeopardy in the privacy of my own home, like on a nightly basis, man. Like they just haven't given me my money yet. <laughs> nice. We'll have to send them a notification. <laughs> so I was, I've always kind of just been, you know, somebody that's really enjoyed learning. I've really enjoyed, you know, that kind of whole enrichment and, and things like that. And I, I graduated in, in 2011 to, to what was a really rough economy, which I feel like is funny to say now, like, Looking at the economy now, man, I think it was like 8.4% last month, which is wild. Um, but like they're, you know, for somebody that has a master's, like you're underqualified for a lot of things, but overqualified for a lot of things. So like nobody wants to hire you because of that. So I couldn't really get a job. So I came out and actually worked for an old school painter during the day. And when I say old school, it means we did everything by hand with these old Victorian homes that are like seven different colors. So hand scraping, hand painting, 40 foot wood ladders. I did that from you know, 7am until five every day. And then I came home and showered. And then I was the nighttime manager at the gym, which really worked out because that allowed me to, to, to work out at night as well. 
And I, I did that for a year before I could finally figure out what I could do out of school. And I actually ended up uh, running into a friend of the family that told me the private school in the area was hiring. You don't need any background, any training, any degree, anything. They just kind of put you in a room with a bunch of kids and they say, good luck. Uh, and I very quickly got swallowed up, man. Um, because as I, I like, I look like I'll be 35 next month and I, I look like I'm about 12. So I, I look like I was a sophomore, just like the sophomores I was teaching. And it just did not go so well, man. I just was not really enjoying my job. And in uh, 2013, my mom ended up having a really bad stroke. And it made me kind of look at my life and a lot of what I was doing and realize, like, what do I want to even do with this? And I, my wife was shown a network marketing opportunity, which I don't know what that was. So I was like, millionaire next week. This is going to be great. Um, <laughs> I just got to find two people that find two people that find two people. And I'm in, man. Um, so that, you know, did not happen. I actually made some decent money doing it. But it just wasn't something that I was willing to to kind of put myself out there in a continual process to do. So I went on from there to selling life insurance, which I was good at, but I just enjoyed those like kind of morbid conversations around death. And it it it's it, it takes a special kind of person, man. It really does. And I'm 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 not as empathetic as as some others may be. So, you know, I, I made money doing it, but I just was not happy with it. So I went from there to actually selling products on Amazon. And um, I made the mistake of giving away all of my inventory, not realizing I made like some sort of a coding error um, for a dollar. So I was out of business very, very quickly, like 250 units gone in 20 minutes. And that was the end of my Amazon business. So like that was entrepreneurship for me, man, like a bunch of things that didn't work. And I actually ended up working at a friend's marketing firm, uh, teaching myself how to build websites. And I, I did pretty well doing that. And I started a podcast really just as a hobby. And we saw 10,000 listens in our first month and people started asking for help. And that's, you know, where the agency came from in 2016. Man, that's, that's fantastic. First of all. <laughs> I well, told I mean, you, it's like the Beatles song, people, man, a long and winding road. <laughs> most people would, would give up, right? I mean, obviously I'm not, you know, I'm not meant to be an entrepreneur because I just lost all these Amazon thing. I lost yeah. this network marketing thing. I can't even sell life insurance and any monkey can do that. So what, what's going on? Right. So, well, no, I, I could sell it. I just like, I just was like really depressed doing it. Cause I'm like, Oh God, death. Like that was my daily, my daily, like, and I was good at selling it. Trust me, man. I made money doing that and, and selling annuities and stuff, but like, I just was really depressed. Well, and I, and I love the idea. You start a podcast as a hobby and get 10,000 downloads as, as quickly as you did. And for those of us that have started later in this in this game recognizing what it takes to get 10,000 downloads today is <laughs> it takes a lot more effort than it did back in 2015 man let me tell you it takes a lot more effort now absolutely so we started the i guess at some point you transitioned the podcast to the agency and you started mm -hmm. the agency in partnership with your wife and so i i want to explore that a little bit what what has led you to be a partner with your wife. I know you're the CEO, she's the COO now mm -hmm. and, and you're building the business together. So let's, let's dig into that a little. Well, so I will say like, I will give her a ton of credit. Like she is immensely smarter than I am with a lot of this stuff. And you know, a lot of what we do, we, we actually started doing because she did it for me. You know what I mean? That was why my, part of the reason my podcast was so successful was the PR plan we ran when we launched it. And because of that, um, it seemed like kind of a, a natural like flow to go from there and people started asking for help. So we, our first version of what we did was called slate media productions. 
And we actually did like a full podcast and um, booked all their guests, did their web design, did their social media, like entirely too many things. And I wasn't charging enough. But we also, as part of the launch, we, you know, did some basic PR things. We got our clients on podcasts. We did a lot to like really get it out there. And clients started saying, well, that's great, but can we just focus on the PR aspects? Because this stuff is great. And, you know, having a podcast, you know, as you know, is, is a lot of work. So even when you're having somebody do all the aspects for it, like even just doing interviews is, is hard work. So our clients were just asking for us to focus on that. So we ended up actually teaming up uh, with another entrepreneur um, and founded a company called Get Featured. And we just, we, we very quickly built a six-figure business out of that. Like I think in our first six months of business, but we had a lot of, you know, not getting along and, and not seeing the same vision. And, and frankly, um, you know, I, my wife didn't have as big a role in the company as I really wanted her to. Um, because as I said, like she was the brains behind a lot of what worked for us. So we ended up, you know, ending that off in um, the early 2017. And we reformed as Command Your Brand. And that allowed us to really focus on like, who do we want to help? How do we want to help them? And, you know, she's done an incredible job of, of building our whole booking team and building the processes around that and building our quality control, which is really the big thing we've focused on for the last years, you know, because quality control is what makes sure everything else works well. So she's done an incredible job with putting that together and building all of our processes. That's fantastic. And obviously, how is it? How is it for you working with your wife? It, better than working with a partner, apparently. And so that's encouraging. And and what it what has helped you guys keep your relationship solid and your business solid? You know, because I think other people would think differently about this, you know. I, I but for us it's really worked because we're in business together. I think for other people that doesn't work, right? Like other people, it doesn't work being in business together. But because of that, for us, like we're on the same page. You know, we're able to go to events together. Like we're able to travel. We're able to, to, you know, we're able to travel now. I'm finally, I'm speaking in, in Mexico next month, which is exciting because it means we're going on our first like speaking tour in a very long time. Tony Watley. Yeah. You know, Tony, Tony's the man. <laughs> yeah. Tony's, Tony's been on the show. So oh, I'm speaking at Tony's event next month. I'm really stoked, man. Are you going to be there? I, I'd like to be there, but we're not, I think we're launching, we're doing our book launch, like the same, the same. Okay. Week. So. Yeah. So, so like it's, a, it's enabled us to do a lot of that stuff as a family. And that's because I, I, I know other entrepreneurs haven't really put a focus on that, but for us, since we're in business together, we can do those things. And at the same time, um, I will tell you the harder part um, is learning to shut it off. Right. Because I think we can always be on, you have to learn to, to shut it off and just be a husband sometimes, which to me, it's something I'm always continually trying to work on because I'm not great at it. Frankly, I'm always, my brain's always going on this stuff. So it's making sure that you're making space for that stuff um, and being in business together has allowed us to do that. And we also have a policy of we say what needs to be said without the intention to hurt the other person. And because of that, hey, if she's upset about something, she's going to tell me rather than sit on it. Whereas a lot of people would sit on it for a week, get mad about it, passive aggressively, you know, kind of go back and forth about it. We're up front with it so we can handle it. So whether we like it or not, it's there. And I think that is something that, you know, that policy we've set up for ourselves from day one has been really, really important and valuable. Oh, I love that boundary. I love that, that openness. Um, so many couples make assumptions mm -hmm. in, in their conversations, right? Oh, oh, they're mad at me. Oh, they're doing that to hurt me. Oh, they're, oh, they're this or oh, they're that. Rather than saying, we have a policy, we're going to have the conversation and, and both of us have the right to, to get it out. And so yeah. put, it, put it on the table where 
where where truth you know the light reveals right when you put on the table oh wait it wasn't half of what i thought it was first of all yeah and then now we can both we can both deal with it and so so that's that's a really important rule or or boundary that that you guys have set that's super helpful and and robert as much as i love my parents um it's it's something i actually learned through living through it with my mom uh <laughs> growing up um you know my my parents been married for over 50 years now at this point in time you know they they they, they get along well in their own way but i remember being a kid and I remember when my mom was upset about something, she wouldn't tell you. You would just, you'd ask her and she'd be like, no, nothing. Um, you just have to kind of like figure out eventually something was wrong somewhere. And then that, that's where it was. I just kind of decided I, I was never really going to do that. And I think having those agreements in place, I think it's just really important. Well, I love boundaries and business owners that can create boundaries in their marriage, create boundaries in their business. Um, obviously can go further because you learn to protect the things that matter to you. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I'm um, not perfect in that process, by the way, like, I think a lot of people, like, you know what I mean? You, it's something you're working on all the time. And if anybody says they're perfect, they're lying. Well, absolutely. Well, <laughs> but I think for my wife and I, it always started out with our commitment to the journey. So we're in this journey together, right? We're yep. partners. We're side by side where so many relationships start out in this power and control space where, where it's, it's I'm fighting for power or control over the over the whatever in the relationship. And and for my wife and I, it's never been it's never been that we're committed to this destination of of hanging out, being together, whether that's doing business together, whether that's, you know, uh, four wheeling together or or just, you know, just going to dinner together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so those are. Which I sometimes, think, if you discuss business, could be a write-off. There, there uh, lots of <laughs> lots of times. Even if we even if we got on an airplane to fly someplace to have dinner, yep. <laughs> absolutely, we're we're figuring out more and more ways to make the business pay for stuff. Well, because like like here, um, a couple of years ago, um, uh, I I uh, twenty nineteen, I I spoke in Kiev. Um, so the flight there that was, was a better by, time. It was it was a better time. It's a beautiful country. Um, and the flight there was covered by the business. And then, you know, from there we went and saw all these different cities and stuff like that. So that was all covered by my personal accounts, right? Because, you know, that's that's all just pleasure. And then the flight back is covered by the business. So it's like if you're thinking about some of those things, like there's a lot that, you know, you can do if you're thinking with your family as part of your business, not just, you know, dad's going to work or mom's going to work or whatever it may be. Um, and you know, it, it's, it works if you're in business together. Absolutely. Well, and I, I love that, you know, you're figured out how to design your business around your family. And so let's talk mm -hmm. about the advantages of being an entrepreneur. You're both committed to the same, the same thing. Obviously you've got two young kids and now you've got the right to design your business around them rather than have them, you know, mold to whatever life you're living. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I think that the biggest thing is, well, um, and this is frankly something I've been trying to get better at. And we've actually, um, we're getting, uh, an au pair, um, like a, like a living nanny from Europe this summer to like, kind of really like help us with that. Because I find that, you know, our, our girls are active. They want to do a lot of stuff, you know, they're not in school yet. So it's been sometimes harder to get work done. Um, and because of that, you have to admit like, hey, I need help. Right. Um, and, and not say, well, you know, what I'm doing is more important than what my wife is doing. What my wife is doing is more important than I'm doing. But I think recognizing that if you get some help, right, and get somebody to help you, it's going to allow you to work less time because things are going to take less time if you're not trying to handle the kids while you're working. 
and you can be more present with them while you're with them. So that's something my, my kids are young. They're, they're three and, and one. So I'm still actively figuring that out, frankly. Um, and that's that's kind of been what we've been working on, you know, in this season of our life. Well, and it's not much different than outsourcing in your business, right? Figuring no. out the figuring out the thing you enjoy doing and then figuring out how to outsource or hire to do the things that you don't enjoy doing that aren't in your wheelhouse. So you can focus on the stuff that makes your world rock. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think as well, like I think one of the things and you've probably seen this that a lot of entrepreneurs do wrong around that is they give away things that understanding how they work first. And you, you can be an adverse effect to a lot of things in your business if you don't quite know how they work yet. So, you know, even if you'd like, I, th I think Gary Vee is actually really bad at saying, you know, don't do SHIT you don't like to do because you're going to have to if you want to grow a business. And if you aren't, you're going to be the adverse effect of it. So I think it's really vital to you don't have to do everything, but you do need to understand how it works. Oh, absolutely. One of my uh, one of my mentors figured that out when the FBI and IRS showed up at his front door and yikes, and we're going to arrest him because his accountant was taking all the tax money and not filing it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And so That's you have wild. To, yeah, that dude must've went away for years. That, that accountant. You, you, and, and, but the, the business owner's responsible. Well, no, absolutely. You sign your name to it. So you're responsible. Yeah. And so even though you assume your accountant's doing all the right stuff, unless you're, unless you know enough of it to be able to check, right? That's our responsibility mm -hmm. as a business owner is I've got to know the accounting well enough to check it. I got to know yep. the Facebook ad algorithm stuff just enough to check it. And, and if I don't do those pieces, like you said, long enough to appreciate them and to know what to look for, you can spend a lot of money down a digital marketing hole or a, an accounting hole without, without having oversight into those things. Yep. Well, and that's like for us, um, we spend most of our money on Google ads, frankly, because a Google ad customer and a Facebook ad customer are quite different, right? Absolutely. You know, face, Facebook ads, um, you're kind of just scrolling and they're like, look at me, buy my stuff. And you're like, whoa, this is ruining my experience. Scroll, scroll. Whereas a Google ad, they're like, they're looking for something, right? So it's intent based um, in what they're doing. So it's a different type of customer. And at the same time, like I understand how to do Facebook ads a lot less. So I'm less apt to spend money on those. Whereas Google ads, I have a really good understanding of how they work. They've been a real boon to our business. And so, you know, frankly, we had some issues with Google ads um, in an agency we were working with. We ended up moving on to another agency because I actually knew enough about it to figure out what was going on and get the right person to fix it. And that's just being responsible as a business owner, right? And so even though I don't want to be the Google ad guy, I got to know enough to be able to know whether or not the Google ad guy is doing what he says he's going to do. Right. And it doesn't mean that they're, they're swindling you or anything else. It just may mean that like maybe what they're encountering right now is beyond their ability level. You know, sometimes people don't want to say that. I know I don't always want to say that. Right. Well, and, and the digital marketing space has definitely a skill range from, Hey, I just started yesterday to, yep. you know, companies that have, that have a pretty good handle on, you know, Google AdWords and, and, and Facebook. So I appreciate it. I interviewed Dennis Yu the last week and, and his, Dennis is the man. I actually was just talking to him like an hour ago. And his his message, the whole podcast was standards, standards. We need digital marketing standards. And I yep. I'm like, oh, you're after my heart because I Because want there's to be like protected. every 20 year old out there has bought a SMMA course and they're gonna build a social media marketing agency and they're gonna go hire a high ticket closer to close you for like way too much on the phone and they don't know their head from their butt. So like, it's like, I, 
I agree with you a hundred percent, man. And, and Dennis is spot on with that as well, because his training method is great because he's, he's a big proponent of th something I think is missing in the business world. And that's the idea of apprenticeships, you know, working for somebody else for a period of time to get good at it, understand it, and then kind of go out on your own and hang your own shingle. Absolutely. Well, and he's empowering people to do that, which I think is fantastic. And I, I just was chatting with somebody the other day saying, I think apprenticeships are going to start coming back because people yeah. need more skills. And the best way to develop skills is hands on. It's not an education. You and I both, you and I both have educations and uh, I've, we both have master's degrees that are mine literally is still sitting in the envelope from the, <laughs> the, the school mailed it. To so me. mine's not even at my, like, I don't even have mine. I think it's at my parents' house in Florida. So well, like, I don't even yeah, like, I don't know where it is because like, you know, you don't walk around and they're like, hey, show me your degree. I didn't, here, here it I is. Didn't, I didn't get mine till I was a little older than you. So, <laughs> but my, yeah, my, I feel like neither one of my degrees equipped me for even the work I was trying to do yeah. using, using them. And the reality of that work smacks you in the face when you're trying, well, they didn't teach us any of this. And really in ministry, I, I was, I needed to learn how to deal with messes. Like I would have been better off practicing with the janitor than I would have. <laughs> Not that the messes the janitor cleans up are the same, but, but, but the truth is school doesn't prepare you for, for real life and, and the real life things that people are dealing with. And that's kind of the same with, with coaching and working with entrepreneurs is mm -hmm. the stuff they're dealing with until you start helping them deal with it. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> Well, I, th I think, frankly, Robert, that's a lot of what we're seeing in the education world and frankly, with the economy right now as well is, you know, you have um, and um, I I'll apologize to you on behalf of my generation because we stink. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of people in, in my generation, like college has kind of become like high school 2.0 where like everybody has to go, but nobody like learns a usable skill. So because of that, there's this idea that you go, you take out these really, really big loans that they would never give you to start a business, but they'll, they'll give you to go to college. Um, you know, a business, you may be able to produce something. College most likely won't. So, you know, you have all this debt. You come out, you don't really have the ability to do something. And because you come out with all this debt, you have a, a high need for income. So you come out expecting you should make a lot of money and do very little. And it's a lot of what we're seeing with the economy right now. Like that's a, a, actually one of the major causes of inflation is people that can't produce things. Like that's a big problem. Well, LinkedIn just had an article yesterday or today that says 5 million men are missing from the workforce. They, are you they serious? Exist. They, they exist. They're not working. And it wow. said, it said, it attributed it to the drug, the drug problem mm -hmm. and video games. <laughs> so 5 million, 5 million work aged men are missing from the workforce. But the other piece you, you hit on, I really like, I'm a huge fan of micro and micro has got a great answer when talking this last election cycle and all these recent talking about student loan forgiveness. And, and he comes back with, well, my friend, the contractor who built your house has to buy a truck to be able to build the, build your house, right. To be able to run his business, pick up tools, yep. pick up supplies. So are we going to forgive the loan that he has on his truck? And, and of course everybody was like, <gasps> that's not the same. And yet it's exactly the same, right? And you well, that guy with the truck is a productive, a that guy with the truck's a productive member of society, whereas you may not be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so you mentioned it is, is the loans for small businesses should be exactly the same as student loans. They should be government backed. They should be, should be guaranteed and they should allow people to, to try to get started with businesses. But 
the program should include mentors and, and apprentice opportunities yep. where people can learn some of the skills to run a business and and get out there kicking butt. I'm I'm a big fan of Mike uh, of Mike Rowe and everything he's doing with the with the Mike Rowe, uh, Rowe Works Foundation. Like I think because he's a big proponent of apprenticeships as well. Um, I actually wrote about him quite a bit in my book because um, he's just <laughs> he's a very very interesting guy that's really been pushing like a lot of these you know manual labor jobs a lot of um, a lot of people going to technical schools. There's actually there's a huge demand for that now because people aren't going into it, and those people can actually start businesses that do very well. Like like dude, if you go to school for HVAC now. You could be making bank or or, or even plumbers. Like you well, could, I, I know a seven figure plumber. Like you can be doing so much with that stuff because there's no competition now because nobody wants to work. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, uh, like I was raised on. So I have a barn. I have a barn in, on my property. I was I I've replaced the doors on my barn. I've replaced the roof on my barn. I, I was taught to do a lot of those things, and I I think we've lost that. And I, so I think if we can figure that out, it's a big deal. And I think at the same time, you know, you mentioned college. I think that system needs to change a lot coming from that. Like, this is kind of my viewpoint on it. Everybody comes out of school at like 17 or 18. You spend a year doing an apprenticeship where you kind of either figure out, is that the career I want to go into? Or is that the career I don't want to go into? Do I need to go to college for it or don't I? Because there's very few things you should have to, you know, if you're a doctor, a lawyer or whatever, kind of important. But I think also the funding structure should be changed because, there's so much easy money available that means these tuitions keep bloating every year and they build another stupid building or hydroponic farm on the college property or whatever it may be. So I think the way you do it is you you kind of let capitalism work this whole thing. You have them pay 15% of the cost up front and then um, the college would decide what percentage they would make of the person's first five, first five years income out of college. Well, they'd be, uh, they'd be really motivated to make sure that those people could produce something if they were making... 15% of their income out of college for five years, right? Whew. It would change. It would definitely change the landscape. <laughs> you, you hit the thing I like to talk about most, man. <laughs> I like it. I mean, you know, I, I believe entrepreneurs are going to be the saviors of the world. And it's not because of college educations. It's because mm -hmm. of all the things that entrepreneurs have to learn outside of college, outside of that education. There's this plethora of stuff we just don't teach in school. And in fact, some people would claim that, they're hiding it on purpose. I don't know if they're necessarily hiding it on purpose. I think that just the way it's put together isn't built on people being able to do things like, all right, memorize this. Or, mm -hmm. you know, like they teach you how to read by saying context clues, understand the things around it. Well, that doesn't teach you how to read. Like right. it should, it's, it should really be about, you know, what you're able to do and produce. Absolutely. Or, or even the science side of it, right. What you're able to try and, and experiment with. And yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing school does is it teaches us that failure is bad for mm -hmm. the most part, right? Any Anytime you're graded, failure is bad. Fail the test. You're, take that home to your parents. Oh, got to write a note. Got to have that signed. Got all this negativity around failure. Whereas your life experience, right? Oh, I tried this. It didn't work. Oh, I tried that. Oh, it didn't work. And those experiments probably taught you more in experience and in perseverance than than any of the failures that school would teach you about. Yeah. And, and, you know, like that's one of the biggest cons concepts and the education concept too, that I, that I, you know, write about in my book Unremarkable to extraordinary that's coming out in June. And um, you know, that makes me think of, you know, you talk about failure. It makes me think of my favorite baseball player. Um, he's retired now, but he's Nick Swisher. Um, I got a chance to interview him a number of years ago, played for the New York Yankees. And um, 
he was somebody, his dad, Steve Swisher was a, was a pro for a number of years. He came out of, out of high school and he didn't get drafted and he expected to be a first round draft pick. He did not get picked. So for him, that was a failure. So Nick looked at that and he goes, you know, I'm a failure. And his, his dad being a former pro ball player said, there's always an opportunity in this son. So then Nick Swisher went to Ohio state university, worked on every portion of his game. You know, by the time they graduate, he graduated. They named the stadium after him. It's now called Nick Swisher field at Ohio state. And from there, you know, he was a first round pick. He was Billy Bean's first pick of the, of the money ball era in baseball. And he, he kind of changed a lot of how people even look at draft picks. And it's, one of the biggest reasons they look at players like they do now. Well, that was all failure, man. Um, but, you know, look at what he learned from that and how he was able to turn things around. Yeah, he's got a great spirit, though. He's a positive guy, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think I've ever seen him not smiling. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a positive guy. He's, got, he's also got a great family. And I believe his wife's an actress, too. So he's, he's a very lucky guy as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about this, this blueprint you've created on the power of podcasting and using, using podcasts to help elevate people's platforms. Well, I, I think podcasting, the thing that's incredible about it is it allows you to be in front of the exact type of person you need to be in front of. Cause I think too often, and this is because TV and radio have lied to us for years. People are so focused on the number of people they need to be in front of when that actually doesn't really matter. The type of person you need to be in front of is what matters most. So that's what's really interesting about podcasting is the ability to really niche down and do that. And you can really use that as kind of a blueprint to build your own expertise, build your own notoriety and things like that as, you know, as an author, as a speaker, as a CEO, frankly. Because what you can actually do is in, in starting your show, because um, you know, they're starting your show and also going on others. I always recommend people go on other shows before they start their own. And then start their own because you're going to understand kind of that guest side a little bit more. And, and what this actually does for you is there's a concept in the branding world called positioning. And, you know, that's positioning is what you're seeing for or against. And you're trying to grab something people are already familiar with rather than be like, so I'm Jeremy and you should know me. Well, that's great. But you want to position yourself with something people already know and, you know, for or against it because that's going to take that position in your mind. So here's the example of that. Um, and I hate this example, but it's the most obvious one because people say it all the time. We're the Uber of blank. Well, most people know what Uber is. So they're going to they're gonna be able to associate you with that idea and say, oh, okay, cool. I can see how they are in that business. So what podcasting allows you to do is fast track your positioning because um, you mentioned Dennis Yu. Um, you know, you interview somebody like him. Well, you're borrowing some of his credibility by, being inter uh, by interviewing him um, or being seen with him or being interviewed by him. So that's what you're really able to do is, you know, you start your you, you go on other shows first to really kind of understand that guest flow, get your ability to tell a story down. You get some positioning that way by being seen with people. Come back and start your your own show so that, you know, you can actually have the answers and people come to you. But by imp inviting people onto your platform, you're able to, number one, network with them, which is vital. And people don't think about that. Number two, um, it's really that positioning, being seen with people you know, like Grant Cardone, like professional athletes, like things like that, those add to your brand. And that is really something that's going to, you know, kind of help you rise through the noise. Whereas previously before that, you wouldn't be able to. So I think that's the real value in podcasting. Go on some shows first, get your story, down, understand what it's like to be a guest so the interview better, start your own show to become the answers and interview people that are authorities in your space to build your own authority. Oh, that's so good. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered, 
by Noel L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. I love you. You've mentioned the plan a couple of times, right? In the way you plan your, your marriage and your family. I'm maniacal, man. <laughs> In the way you plan, planned your PR launch, uh, you know, for, for your podcast. And then of course, you know, helping somebody have a plan for, for launching their podcast and, and the things they need to focus on. Um, that's, that's so powerful. And, and, and those are, those are simple things, right? I know I talk to people all the time, like, Oh, I always wanted to start a podcast. And, and for me, it was just a matter of, uh, do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, like I'm almost on a thousand episodes. I think we're in like nine seventy something right now. And I'll tell you what, those first 200, I was like, not so good. Um, it's like just continuing to do it and do it and do it. And it, it goes back to what you're talking about by apprenticeships, right? And, 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 and internships and things like that. You do something for a really long time, you're probably going to get good at it. And it's what it comes to with podcasting. Just start, just do it. You're going to stink in the beginning and that's okay. Well, it's really okay now because nobody's listening in the beginning anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, just, it's not a problem. You're talking to yourself and maybe your mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember that first podcast I had. It was called The Rock Your Life Show before I started Create Your Own Life. Um, we did it for 90 days and we had a whopping 60 downloads of my 40 episodes. I can tell you the only person downloading that was mom. <laughs> oh, thank God for moms, though. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd give up too soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody's got to believe in us while we're still trying to believe in ourselves. So obviously, you mentioned your book a couple of times. Yeah. Um, your idea of, of igniting your passion to go from just a passive observer in your life to the creator of your own life. I love that tagline. Um, love that concept of helping people believe that they can create their own life. It's it's interesting because I think if you look at a lot of people, a lot of people are complaining about what life has done to them, right? Mm. Or what has happened to them or what someone else has done to them. And it's it's the idea of cause and effect, right? If you have that type of viewpoint, you're effect of life. So when you're looking at it, you're like, well, how can I be more causative in my life? And that's what I'm actually really trying to help people do, you know, with this book. You know, I'm, I'm not a life coach. I'm not, you know... Uh, you know, kind of helping people sort out their problems. But I am giving them a lot of examples of people that I've interviewed of, you know, where they saw where they could be more causative in their life and how that helped them to kind of catapult things. Um, I, I, I spend a lot of time actually in the first chapter on Tom Brady, and I haven't interviewed Tom Brady. I would have liked to. Um, I've read a lot of things about him, and I think he's actually a great example of somebody that's what it embodies to be extraordinary. And if you, if you look at him, you know, goes to the Junipero Serra High School, doesn't start till his senior year, goes to Michigan, Michigan, his senior year, he competes with Drew Henson and, um, you know, only starts half the games drafted in the sixth round in the NFL, um, only plays because Drew Bledsoe goes down when he gets hit by Mo Lewis. So you, you look at it and he's somebody that he worked hard. He showed up every day. He grinded it out. He watched more film than other people. He did more throws than other people. He did more practice than other people. And that's where success comes in is when you can grind it out and you can push and you can outwork somebody, 
you can overcome a lot of what other people were gifted with if you're going to work harder with them. And I think that's what it really comes down to. Absolutely. Well, and I, I've never interviewed him either. He hasn't agreed to come on the show yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be cool, man. It would, it would be cool. Absolutely. But one of the examples I always use as a coach is all these people talk about the coach, you coach being an expert coach knowing, and I guarantee that uh, Tom Brady has won more Super Bowls than any of his quarterback coaches. Yes. And, and yet he still has a quarterback coach. Well, cause you need somebody to see the things you don't see. Right. Like, like, like I, I think, um, I think the best example of this, cause it's the most obvious is, a, is, um, there was a guy for a number of years, um, that was the pitching coach for the New York Yankees, Mel Sotomayor. Hmm, and you know, guy. great guy. And his son, Todd actually pitched for the blue Jays for years. Um, and his book actually just hit New York times list, by the way, Todd Stottlemyre. Nice. Um, but Mel Stottlemyre was able to watch a pitcher and he could see the smallest little mechanical things that changed. Like, Oh, you know what? Andy Pettit's hip is moving that way. Or you know what? Roger Clemens arm slot changed. So he could see those things and his mound visits were super valuable because he had been doing it for a really long time. He could see the things that they couldn't see. And, you know, they're like, oh, man, I can't hit the strike zone. Well, actually, if you're looking, your weight's falling this way and this is happening this way. You need somebody to look out for you, man. And you need to be actually you need also at the same time be open to that. Like it's be able to be open to be coached. Yeah. Well, then there's two parts to that coaching, right? He's watched them when they're doing their best. He's watched them when they're at their at their peak and he's paying attention to to that. He's not just sitting on the bench, you know, uh, eating sunflower seeds and drinking his drinking his Gatorade. He's he's watching every motion, every movement so that when they do get out of that groove, then he's able to walk up and say, hey, your foot's hitting this way instead of that way. Right. And 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 that power. I mean, that that's super power of observation, but it's also uh, knowing what's important. Right. And and watching what's what's really important. And so I appreciate the, the value of, of a coach that's able to come alongside. And not only can they help you, they they pay enough attention. They love you enough to be watching all of the details that you're that you're going through and paying attention to those details. And then when one of those details is out of whack, they're able to call you out on it and say, hey, this is what's going on. Well, and, and also too, like one thing you hit there that's really, really powerful as well, as you mentioned, you know, they seen you when you're really good too. Like they seen you when you're really good. And, you know, a coach like that can walk out and be like, you know, Roger, you struck out 20 guys once I've seen it, <laughs> you know? So like this guy's getting in your head, like, you know, just calm down and just, you know, get the ball over the plate. Like that also at the same time is important. Like somebody that's seen you, you know, be all you can be and can also have that faith in you. Cause sometimes you need it. You do. Oh, Absolutely. We all need, I, I always tell people that, you know, each of us is stuck inside a box and the instructions to get out of the box is on the outside. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I think there's a Chinese proverb about a jar that's similar, but I'm not sure who to credit with it. It's probably Confucius. I don't know. Everything's Confucius. <laughs> he gets all the credit. He probably deserves it. So one of the other things, obviously right now, your, your primary role is a PR company. Is that right? Yes. But not everybody understands the difference between PR and, and marketing. What, mm -hmm. what would you, how would you explain the, the, the value of PR versus just marketing? Well, the way I explain it is I try to break it down. Basically. Like I look at there's, there's three basic functions in every business, PR marketing and sales. Um, if you're not selling, you take a look at marketing. If marketing's not converting, you take a look at your public relations and public relations is the thing. Most people just don't think to do. 
um, because it's they're like, oh, well, I need things that get me an ROI. Well, if you don't have it, you're not going to have an ROI because people need to know you, like you, and trust you to ever work with you. So public relations, public is just a special term that means um, a type of audience. And I think often a, an area people mess up with that initially is they're like, well, my public is everyone. And if your public is everyone, it's not going to impact anyone. You have to be very specific about who that public is. And, and that's what it's really about is you're creating trust so that your marketing converts more. You're also creating pieces that can be marketed. And I think, you know, marketing and PR work together, but they are not the same thing because, you know, you can run paid traffic forever, but if you start having things like I was featured in Forbes or I talked to this person or interviewed that person or, or was spoke at this event, those things now make you more credible. So that marketing is going to convert better. And I think that's what's really, really vital is PR is the thing that creates that no like and trust factor. You can have thousands of people land on your site, but if you don't have the right credibility, they're never going to want to work with you anyway. Like you have to do that. Hmm. So good. So let's talk about the value of a niche, right? You mentioned that. Some people want anybody that has a credit card, right? Because they really don't want anybody. We, we usually turn those people away, by the way, because I'm like, um, <laughs> once you know who you work with, then get back to us. <laughs> but but the value of a, of a niche, right? And it's almost cliche to this point where, you know, between, you know, own your email list and, and narrow down to a niche, those are the kind of the two big buzzes out there. Yeah. But, but for for people that, that struggle with that and and – why is a niche so valuable? Because here's the here's the thing you have to think about. You know, when you focus on a, a, a niche, you're going to know terminology those people use, right? Like a photographer is going to use very different terminology than a sales expert. Um, you're going to know their pain points, particularly to them. You're going to know things about their business, right? Like chiropractic chiropractic many places doesn't take insurance. So if you start talking about insurance, they're going to stop listening. They're going to know you don't know them. So you have to really know your audience well. And if you try to focus on too many people, it's going to be hard to get out of a cohesive message. Mm -hmm. And that's what you really have to take a look at because it's going to allow you to really get to know that public well, think like that public and be able to communicate to them and actually solve their problems. But I find too often when you're like, my solutions for everyone that tells me immediately that, that you don't know, not to be rude, but you don't know a lot of what you're doing um, because you're never going to really get to know somebody well if you think your audience is everyone. Oh, so good. Well, and then and then if you think your audience is everyone, that waters down your content. Well, and but here's the thing, too, is that audience can be everyone eventually, right? Like if you look at a lot of the people out there that have big names, um, you, you know, somebody like Lewis House, he's known by a lot of people. You know where he started? He was a LinkedIn coach. Nice. So you have to start in a niche. You get really known in that niche, and then you can go outside of the niche. But you still need that power base underneath you to be able to start somewhere. Absolutely. I think I think that's what so many people, you know, I guess we all want to be Tony Robbins, right? I mean. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. People want to be want, famous, man. We want Tony Robbins money. We don't really want <laughs> We don't want to be Tony Robbins. But I, I think a lot of people feel like they have to be somebody else. Yes. And, and so – Let's let's talk about the character and authenticity necessary to to serve your niche. I think that's really vital because frankly, and you've probably seen this, I feel like social media has made this a lot worse because people don't show that there's two extremes on this, right? There's people that that only show the things that go right. And then there's the other thing that I really don't like. 
of people that like tell you entirely too much about what went wrong where they almost make you feel sorry about them or like making a crying video or something like that. It's like you planned that. Like to be able to go to the level of what you created in that video, you planned this. You tried to scam me. So I think what you really have to take a look at is it's coming down to being who you are at all times. And I think there's so many people that they put it on and, and, and you know, they, they put on that face and take off that face for social media. And I think eventually people can see through that. And that's not something you can do forever. So when you're always who you are and you always reflect your values and you always reflect what matters to you, I think that's what people can really buy into and can really understand. But those two extremes, man, are, are kind of rough because eventually people see through that. And they're not going to be able to, to believe you. Do, do you know Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like there's oh. really those two big extremes on that. And you have to be yourself. Yeah. I think if, if life's always a disaster, it might work the first couple of times. But yeah. people are going to start to like, I, I don't think I need to get involved in this this drama. Yeah. And it's like, you can't even, you can't keep that up forever, man. Like, you know, you really can't. Because I know for like, and something too with that is every time a new feature comes out in a social media platform, people think they have to do it. I don't know. I don't do a ton of stories on Instagram. My life's just not that interesting. You know what I mean? So I think like you have to find out what works for you and how you can relate to the people you want to reach, but be real. And and don't think you have to do something just because everybody else is doing it. It's, it's like my dad used to say, if everybody jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, would you do it? I'd be like, well, no, dad, of course not. Well, depends. Do we have bungee cords or parachutes? Ah, that would be fun, man. That would be fun. <laughs> parachutes is what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned boundaries in, in, in one area with your, you know, this policy you have with your wife you yeah. know, for getting it all out of the table. Well, um, what other areas do you have routines or, or boundaries that are, that are important to you every day? Oh, man, don't judge me. I eat the same thing for every meal every day. <laughs> Literally. Um, that's, it's, that's the bodybuilder in you, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's like, and Costco loves me for it, man. It's like, I'm, I'm, I eat too many calories every day where it's like, I need to be structured like that. So like literally breakfast, I have the same thing I had yesterday that I had the day before that I had the day before that, that I had the day before that. Lunch and dinner are usually the exact same thing. So it's like, I'm very structured and rudimentary. And it sometimes annoys my wife a little bit, but like, you know, she, she gets that that's me and she's never bothered me about that. I did, you know, I have dated people before, before I got married that their, their game was kind of trying to get me to not do that. That wasn't fun. Um, so like part of it is like, you know, my spouse permits me to just be me, which is kind of cool. Um, but like having meals structured has been a really big deal for me because what that does is it allows me to kind of keep that fitness component in when I'm going through my day and doing all different things I do because things come up, things happen. So if you have that structure and you know what you can do, you got that part of it handled. Whereas other people are they're, they're reaching for a donut or they're reaching for whatever's available or whatever it may be. But if you're preparing and, and you, you're consistent on something, it's easy. So that's a big deal. Um, for me as well, fitness is also the first thing I do every single morning. You know, I, I get up. Uh, I'm not a super early riser. I'm up at like 6, 6.30. Get up and, and have breakfast, go work out, come back, take a cold shower. And I don't really answer any emails till like 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning because it allows me to get a lot of things done where I don't need to work with other people in order to do them. Um, whereas if I, wait, if I you know, kind of got that communication in my life right away, those things I need to do right away would never get done. So, so, you know, it's really kind of setting those type of structures. I'm, you know, it's not rigid, like life happens. It is what it is, but you kind of set up these guide stones for yourself of, of how you're going to do things. Nice. So that, that brought to mind the idea of decision fatigue and the ability to have the same meal, all three meals avoids how many decisions that, that so many, I mean, that's an area where so many people have this, this decision fatigue, right? Like 
especially between spouses, like, what should we do for dinner? Oh, I don't know. What do you want? Oh, I don't know. What do you want? Oh, I don't know. And they, they've literally wasted 10 decisions yep. in discussion about, about the meals. And so now you've, I think you're actually empowering yourself to make better decisions in your business because you're avoiding these decisions, you know, regarding your meals. For some people, it's their their clothing, their their layout, right? They lay those out the night before so they, they don't have decision fatigue in the morning over, oh, what should I wear? Oh, I gotta look this way or I gotta look that way. Or I, I think there there's some value in that. Well, and I, I also consistently wear a lot of the same things as well. I have I have like 10 t-shirts that I wear over and over again. Um and and you know. I, I, I found these really cool type of pants at Costco um, where they're like these really nice, like light type of, they look like dress pants, but they're not quite, and you can use them for a lot of things and they're waterproof. Nice. So I bought like 15 pairs of those things. They have so side I can, pockets. The side pockets, I consistently buy, I consistently wear a lot of the same things, man. It just makes life easier. Well, I have the same, I, I bought the same watch for years. Every time it died, I bought the same one, same tennis shoes, same socks. I get it. <laughs> but it's that, that consistency, man. If you find something you like, I, I feel like so many people get focused on the next big thing. And, you know, at the same time, um, you know, maybe I'm a dinosaur in some ways, but those things have, have worked well for me and they've served me. I still use, I still use the, the cheap Bic ultra round stick pen because it can go in my pocket without breaking and they work. <laughs> I ruined too many pairs of pants by not having a good pen, man. Like it's it, that thing breaks. It's going to have a big black spot on your pants. It's over. Exactly. And so people laugh at me. You use such a cheap pen. I was like, yeah, but it never breaks. And, and they work until I run them out. <laughs> so. Yep. Oh, always wear pants with a pocket on the side and always have a three inch pocket knife in them. You know, <laughs> there you go. All right. Now we're, now, now we're getting down to, to backwoods kind of hunting stuff. That's, <laughs> Is that, was that a dad rule, a three-inch pocket knife? Um, wasn't really a dad rule. It's just, you know, like, uh, you know, we, we live on, like, uh, like a little over four acres here. So I've got uh, a couple dozen chickens, some roosters. Um, you never, so you're never going to really know what you're going to run into. So sometimes you have to be prepared for some of those things. I like it. That's, that's pretty important. Like, the other day I walked into the barn and I saw a chicken's head that kept popping up from the hole in the wall. And I realized she fell into the hole in the wall. So I pull her out. There's a dozen <laughs> eggs underneath her. I'm like, girl, what have you been doing in there? <laughs> oh man. She's ready. She's making a family and hiding yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> so I love, I love sharing a little bit about your wife and, and, and your family. Um, what was your favorite date? Um, actually how I proposed is, is my favorite date. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm an ancient history major. So like things having to do with like Roman Greece are like a big deal for me. So, um, I took my wife to Athens, Greece, um, in 2013. And, uh, that's actually where we got engaged and I had planned the whole thing out meticulously. And it was going to be like on the third day of the trip on the Island of Idra. Um, and guess what happened? I got impatient and I proposed to her, um, on the roof of the hotel, um, in front of the Parthenon at sunset. So that was still kind of romantic, man. Pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty good deal. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So what do you guys love to do in your free time? We're outdoors people. We do a lot of hiking, a lot of kayaking, a lot of, you know, stuff like that. So we're always kind of doing something or going somewhere. Um, you know, we're big shooters. Uh, we shoot a lot. My, my wife's a great shot with a handgun. Um, so women, we're, we're always... women, women are much better shooters than men, dude. She's got herself a pink revolver, man. She's ready to go. So like, um, you know, like we're, we're always doing stuff like that, man. Um, ski, we ski a lot. Uh, we're doing, we're just, we do, we're very active people. Love that. All right. So what, uh, what inspires you? 
What inspires me? You know, I think recently it's been giving people voice. Um, Cause I think in this big era of like cancel culture and people getting blocked and banned and everything else, um, podcasts are really the final, you know, that final territory for free speech. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like they push uh, pretty hard. They're pushing pretty hard, man. But it's like, I, I hear the space, the final frontier uh, in my head. It's kind of, it's in the William Shatner voice. Um, it's kind of like, one of the last places you can talk a lot of, about a lot of things. And I think that's why, um, not that I listen to his show all the time, but I do listen here and there. I think it's why Joe Rogan's gotten so much flack because he's just been interested in things. He hasn't even taken a position on a lot of things. He's just interested to learn about it. And I think because of that, the thing that excites me is discussing a lot of topics that we're supposed to avoid, you know, talking about a lot of things we shouldn't be talking about because I think there's value in that. And I think, you know, to me, I'm inspired by, being able to give voice to people that it's being taken away from them. Oh, it's so good. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things I've learned is, is I've transitioned into this world of wealth. Um, and I've always noticed it, right. As a, as a pastor, one of the things I always told people is it's crazy in our culture, the two things that are the most enjoyable or should be the most enjoyable are the things we get told not to talk about, right. You're not supposed to talk about money. You're not supposed to talk about sex except those are the two things that a couple needs to talk about the most. And well, there's a, there's a Chesterton quote and I'm totally going to butcher it. Um, but his basically, he, he says that the only two things there are to talk about are politics and religion. So, you know, I'm going to go with GK Chesterton on that one. There you go. Well, but I think one of the differences between people with a poverty mindset and people with a wealth mindset is their willingness to talk about their deals and talk about their money and yep. talk about their mortgage rate and talk about where they're putting it and talk about and and there's a there's this poverty mindset where people don't want to talk about their money and they're not getting a good a deal they're not getting as 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 much representation because nobody's talking about it and so yep. They don't they don't challenge the the mortgage broker when he says there's a three percent fee for this and they don't challenge the banker when they're charging them a little bit extra interest. And, and I think those conversations. Well, it's, it's an ignorance tax, right? Like it's an ignorance tax where if people don't do their own work, if they don't do their own research, if they don't understand things, they're going to charge you things. And, and there's a lot of things you actually don't have to pay for if you know what you're doing. Well, and, and I think some of it's generational, though, and some of these folks have never had access to that information. I think podcasts are changing that for some yes. folks, right? I think yes. what you're talking about is giving a voice. But but for me, I think to lift up these folks that believe they have to be victims and believe that they don't have a choice and and believe that, that you are so option. right, man, you are 100 percent right we need to stop giving everyone a trophy because it's getting ridiculous, man. Like there are winners and losers in life and it's the ones that are willing to seek out information and better themselves. And like you're saying, like, you know, uh, money management isn't taught in school. Good. Go find a podcast and learn it, man, because you are going to be the adverse effect of it. If you don't know, know about it. Absolutely. And, and be willing to make it okay to talk about. Right. And I yep. think the same thing, couples that are afraid to talk about sex, man, if, if you want a better relationship, talk about sex and, and understand each other and understand each other's bodies. I think it's kind of the same thing as as the, the pitching coach, right? The, the pitching coach has a great relationship with his pitchers because they communicate and they understand each other and they have these conversations and relationships. If you want to have a great relationship, you need to communicate and know what yep. your partner wants and know what the other person needs to, to feel satisfied and fulfilled in 
in your relationship and how you can communicate with each other. All those things happen because we use our voice. Yep. No, it, it's so true. Like, you know, the only thing you can ever be made wrong for is communicating. The only thing you can ever be made right for is communicating. Right. So it's it's a really, really important thing to do. Um, and, you know, sometimes there's consequences for it and sometimes there's rewards for it, but it's never wrong to communicate. Nice. And obviously, one of the things I love to talk about is the impact of of being a podcaster. Obviously, that's that's had a huge impact in your life. Yeah. But now you're also an author. And so you're starting to see the impact of, of being an author. So would you mind sharing a little bit about how that's influenced your authority? Well, I, I, I don't you know, the, the book isn't coming out until June, so I haven't really seen like my authority from it. But I think the thing that's been quite cool for me. Um, is it's caused me to look at a lot of my thoughts and a lot of the things I discuss frequently and a lot of the things I've learned in interviews. And it's caused me to get clear on who I am and what I discuss and, and what matters to me. So I think that's been kind of the, the, bigger, the bigger gain from it is been really understanding like clarity on who I am, what I talk about, and what matters to me. And I think when you have those things down, you know, you come from a very different place in how you communicate about topics. Like, you know, the conversation we had today is not a conversation station I would have had two years ago because I, I really hadn't explored a lot of what I think and how I communicate on it. Uh, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. So so let's talk about the, the impact the podcast has had. It's changed my life. Like, as I mentioned, I was like literally nobody. Um, like, I'm actually really, really excited on Tuesday. Um, I'm interviewing uh, Adam Curry. Um, who was the first person ever to podcast. And I'm, I'm excited to tell him how Adam has changed my life. Um, but like, to me, like podcasting has changed my life. I was an unhappy high school teacher, not knowing where I was going in life. And it's given me the ability to communicate to a lot of people, teach on a broader scale, and to, to really make an impact in a way I never thought possible. So it's, it's changed my life from speaking opportunities to travel, to building a business, to you know, creating jobs for other people, right? Like government doesn't create jobs. It's people that build businesses. And that's really helped me to, to you know, empower other people. Love that. Yeah. I, like I said, we've already said entrepreneurs are going to be the saviors of the world. And that's true, man. <laughs> anybody that can empower entrepreneurs and create create opportunities and create jobs is 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 where where the good stuff's going to happen. So what, what does it look like? Or what, what's been the biggest blessing of raising your family well, running your business together? It's the travel aspect. I just keep going back to it because like I get all these opportunities to go different places. Like um, my, my daughter Adelaide um, is three and a half. She's going to be four in October. And she's been to England. She's been to Italy twice. She's been to all these different places, like places that like I hadn't even been on an airplane until I was 21 years old. Um, when I went to Europe to study to, to study abroad, she's done all those things before the age of two. <laughs> so like to me, it's just been the opportunity that I can create to enrich their life um, that I just never had the opportunity to do. And to be able to provide that to my kids has been incredible. Nice. Well, on that note, how important is play and fun? In, in Sushance is the spice of life, man. It's <laughs> if you're too serious it's just not a good thing. You got to kind of learn to not take yourself so seriously, not take life so seriously and have a little fun, man. You know, watch, watch some John Belushi comedy once in a while, like, like en enjoy life a little oh, bit. Man. And, right. Come oh. on. There, there, there's also that, uh, that, that SNL segment from like back in the day too. That's one of my favorites. We're just two wild and crazy guys. Oh, um, I'm like you got to learn to have fan. fun, man. 
Yeah, I love Steve Martin. Whew. So Steve Martin, actually, um, one of the books I recommend the most to people is called So Good They Can't Ignore You, oh. um, where you work at something until you get really, really good at it. And, you know, people just can't not notice what you're doing. It's a book by Cal Newport. But it's actually based on a quote by Steve Martin when they asked Steve, how did you get so successful, Steve? I just kept working until I was so good they couldn't ignore me. Yep. Well, I love his his book, Born Standing Up, is, and especially if you get it on Audible and him reading it. Between that one and, and Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights, both those books in the in the author's voice are just incredible journeys of perseverance and you know and Steve's story just in the comedy world because that's all he focuses on in that book, you know, starting at at Disney, you know, selling maps all the way up till his success in Saturday Night Live and movies, uh, just incredible. Like talk about putting in your hours, right? <laughs> what it's about, man. You got to be willing to work and, and, and the reward for work, you know, will be great things if you keep doing it. All right, Jeremy, what's the big dream? The big dream is I, I really want this book to hit bestseller. We've got a, a lot of work going into it. A lot of, um, you know, there's been a lot of like finding myself in it. So for me, um, I'm kind of just looking at the next dream. It's, it's to hit bestseller with this book. Um, and I'm a big thinker, man, but I do really focus at kind of, you know, the thing I'm focused on at the time. Nice. I like it. All right. So you spent an hour with an entrepreneur and now it's time to say goodbye. You want to leave him with Jeremy's words of wisdom. What would you share? I would go back to the thing about Steve Martin, man. Be so good. They can't ignore you. Like if you can do that, um, you know, you don't have to worry about like, well, who's going to give me what I need or whatever it is. Like be so good. They can't ignore you, man. Like, and, and, and that's how you create your own life. Love it. Jeremy, thank you so much for hanging out and having a great conversation. I had a blast. No, I did too, man. We got to talk about a lot of things I don't often get to discuss, and, and you're a great host. I really appreciated the time. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com. In our next episode, Doreen Olson is all about branding. Her workshops and one-to-one -one coaching help owners turn their business into a brand and be known for what they do and how they are making the world a better place.